Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from the Bible Institute about a variety of topics, uh, theology, ministry, life in God's Word. Uh, But we've been in the middle of an interview series with my dear friend, uh, James Fife, about missions. And uh, recently, him and his family came home from the mission field in Pakistan. They had been there for about five years. And we're just picking his brain. Now, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about what it looks like to minister to Muslims, specifically strategies that might you might have, um, how to be prayed up and, and prepared in your heart and in your mind to have these types of conversations, but most importantly, uh, how to approach them uh, biblically and philosophically. And so uh, with that, I want to say hello, James. It's good to see you again. Hi, thanks. Yeah. It's good to be here again. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah, right. Um, but let's jump right into it because we yeah. have a lot to cover. Okay. And I think you have a lot to say that we could learn from. Um, and so the very first thing I want to ask is what are some of the misnomers that Christians who want to minister to Muslims or maybe or maybe just Christians in general uh, might have about Islamic culture or peoples? Yeah. So the big one is what, what we talked about in the last episode about uh, the personal relationships is that they're actually very... Uh, easy to get along with Mm -hmm. Uh, and generally I'm speaking about Pakistanis but you can probably extend that out to Muslim cultures uh, across the board uh, because they love relationship they love uh, interaction they love family Mm -hmm. they you know the east in general the eastern half of our world is is more committed to family dynamics and closer family ties anyway Mm. So that's a part of, of their life. So that makes relationships easier. Um, there's probably an, an idea that uh, Muslim ministry is fruitless. Uh, it's not necessarily. There's probably an idea that um, maybe that you know that nobody is is responding. It, it is a very hard work. That's a, a true statement. But you do see a, a lot of response to the gospel as well. Another misnomer is probably the idea that it's maybe difficult to minister to Muslims. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not difficult to minister to Muslims at all. Seeing fruit can be difficult, but having a religious conversation, having a meaningful conversation with a Muslim is actually very easy because from the womb, they have been extremely religious people, more religious than most Christians or Jews or Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of really religious Jews. We'll leave them right. out. More religious than than most Christians for sure. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to talk about holy books or holy God or prayer, you know, there's a lot of overlapping topics that a Muslim would be glad to talk to you about. Mm. So starting a a conversation, if you're wanting to have a, a gospel directed conversation with a Muslim, I think it's easier than having you know, gospel-directed conversations with a general person you would catch on a college campus here in America. Because they're already intrigued by the topic. They're ready to enter into it with you. Oh, yeah. So then, you know, from there, uh, we really just need to talk about what it looks like to have those conversations. And so I think um, this is obviously huge, and there's tons of information about this. You don't, I mm-hmm. mean, you can get online, and you can find out a ton about what uh, Muslims believe. And so... Uh, I want to speak more specifically about the comparison uh, in the belief system between uh, Jews uh, and what they believe in terms of the Old Testament, the Abrahamic mm-hmm. Covenant, those those things, Christians mm-hmm. and and Muslims specifically. Where is the cross section uh, so that we can find the common ground for dialogue? So we're, that seems like a beginning place. If you sure. Will. 
Yeah. So with with those three, they're all Abrahamic religions. Mm-hmm. So anything that you uh, can tie back to the prophets generally or to Abraham specifically will open a door uh, of conversation, maybe in all three of those groups. So they all tie back to to Abraham. They all have uh, fairly similar foundations in their faith. All mm-hmm. believe in a holy book or books at some at some in some way and at some time God has spoken to man and given a revelation. Mm. Uh, so they believe in the holy books plus the messengers or the prophets of God. Uh, prayer uh, typically, you know, is very ritualistic, but prayer generally is a, a very easy shared uh, place of departure. Uh, some of the key beliefs in, in all three of those religions in terms of um, a spirit world, uh, angels, demons, in terms of uh, Jesus Christ as even, even, you'll probably want to come back to this, but even Jesus Christ as Messiah mm-hmm. uh, can be shared at least between uh, Christians and Muslims, uh, mm. which is an interesting thought. <clears throat> uh, judgment, uh, the return of Jesus Christ, uh, those things, uh, you know, generally speaking, are some of the 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 key kind of overlaps. When you look at uh, Islam, that you know, there's so there's five pillars. Okay. In Islam, if we jump in a little bit into sure. some of the basics, uh, one is that the five times a day prayer. So prayer, of course, is a part of all three of those religions. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, Ramadan fasting. Uh, so fasting also is is a big overlap. Uh, we all believe in fasting. There's uh, what they call zakat, which is giving alms deeds or giving. So a tithe or some sort of giving mm-hmm. is a foundation in Islam. And then they have the the hajj, the hajj which is uh, a pilgrimage. So they, mm-hmm. they have to go to Mecca. Um, At so some point in their life. Yeah. yeah. So the, with, along with that, not just the travel, the, the idea of holy uh, ground or holy sites, holy places. And then the last one is, is in Islam is, is called the Shahada. It's the declaration that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet or his mm-hmm. messenger. So the first half of that statement, Jews, you know, uh, Christians, Muslims would all agree on that there is one uh, almighty God, that there is one supreme being and he is God. Uh, and, but then that's that back half of that statement where, of course, the Jews and the Christians would peel away from Islam that Muhammad is his prophet. So now you've given us the five pillars. Yeah. Uh, you've given us kind of the, the point of divergence from from the Muslims. Yeah, we we, we, fa- we also fast. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, you know, we also pray. All right. Um, but but there are clear differences and the, the primary, you know, division has everything to do with how we perceive we perceive Muhammad and how they perceive Jesus. Mm-hmm. So maybe you can go into the details of that a little bit because that's hard territory to navigate for, for the average person who hasn't had much exposure uh, to these types of conversations. Yeah, that is very difficult territory to navigate. And honestly, in Islam, Muhammad becomes the, the highest figure. He becomes the ultimate authority, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, you could say that to a Muslim and they would deny it. And there's even Quranic verses that would deny it, talking about the authority of Allah and how he is, of course, God and the deliverer. But when you look at the the history and the way that it happened, Muhammad has this vision or receives this word from Allah in a cave by himself. And there is no other person on the planet at that time or ever that can confirm uh, and could 
you know, testify to what he was receiving. And that's the same thing. This was uh, an ongoing, a progressive revelation over the course of about 23 years. Mm -hmm. And so what that produces is Muhammad comes out by himself and he says, this is what Allah has told me. And some people will go, okay, so that's from Allah. Mm -hmm. But the reality, the practical side of that, is that makes Muhammad the ultimate authority in Islam. Right, because there's there's no accountability in terms of what yeah. he shared. It's not much different than, say, Joseph Smith or or anyone who declares themselves to be the final authority on any right. any theological topic. Right, yeah. so we're not talking about Mormonism, but they are, yeah, there's a lot of overlap there mm-hmm. uh, with Joseph Smith and with creating a new, a new revelation, mm-hmm. a new book. So... Muhammad becomes the authority. I had this conversation with a with a guy this past week, and you know they will violently fight against that. And if you're in a you know Muslim country, for sure, that's a dangerous conversation. I in my first year there in Pakistan, I was having a conversation with a friend, and we were talking about Jesus, and we were talking about prophets, and we were talking about all kinds of stuff. And I asked a question that had something to do with Muhammad, uh, maybe along those lines, insinuating that uh, maybe he was wrong or insinuating that the Quran had errors or something to that. And he immediately stopped the conversation and looked around like he was worried and said, we can't talk about this because if people overhear us, they will come in and kill both of us. Mm-hmm. One, it showed me his love for me, that he was you know, willing to look out for me, and I mm-hmm. respected that. But it also showed the 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 influence or maybe the position that Muhammad has in Islam. Uh, there's a saying uh, in Islam that says, you can say it about my God, but you better not say it about my prophet. Hmm. Which means, okay, blaspheme my God, uh, say what you want about Allah, but if you say it about my prophet, that's where the violence will happen. That's where, that's where we'll take hmm. uh, true offense. So even in some of the, you know, the just the sayings and the, the, the things they recite, it, it's very clear that, that Muhammad becomes God so in then, Islam. So then with that in mind, how do you, how, I mean, if, if, the, if the territory is that um, difficult, I mean, what are some other like no-nos, I mean, in, in conversation? What are, are there other things that you should avoid in conversation? I mean, I want to come back to the, like, the perspective on Christ. I want to address that. We'll mm-hmm. come back to that. But, sure. But um, as far as, you know, knowing what not to say, what are some other areas that you should probably be careful about entering into? Yeah, I would try to not offend, of course. I mean, the, the goal is to not offend the person that you're trying to minister to, right? Uh, yeah. At some level, at some level. At some level, right. So, you know, when we talk about principles of, uh, of ministering with Muslims, there's uh, principles that build on, on friendship, and mm-hmm. that's important. But the backside, the downside of that would be that we become so uh, focused on friendship that we never get around to truth. Okay. And truth will offend. Right, right. When we start talking about some of, some of the truths that we disagree on, it's going to offend a Muslim. And so at some point in the conversation, you have to offend or else you're not, right. you're not obedient to what God called be, you to do. It should be on the terms of God's word mm-hmm. and not because of some cultural insensitivity or um, ignorant. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to be careful that it's not our words or our opinions that offend. Yeah. But it's God's word. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a very wise position is just to leave Muhammad out of the equation altogether. Mm-hmm. There is so much that we can talk about without ever getting onto the topic of Muhammad uh, because that will incite uh, very deep 
feelings, uh, very deep emotions, and even violence. Mm. So, you know, that you asked about things I learned the hard way, and that's one of those things um, is that you just, you really don't need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I s- generally stay away from Muhammad completely. I think that's wise because okay. it's going to result in a fight especially early on in a relationship, especially early on, you have to get way down the road before a lot someone of trust before is, you're willing. Yeah, yeah. Before they're able to hear that kind of a conversation. Right. Uh, so then secondary to that would be an attack, an outright attack on uh, Allah. Uh, he's, you know, he's because he's secondary to Muhammad. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that is an outright attack um, will, will probably result in an attack back. Uh, so one of the kind of general guidelines is start with the, the similarities and let's talk through that. And then let, let the gospel, let the, the most important message, let that be uh, the offense. Mm-hmm. So always, always in every conversation, I, I learned again the hard way to always be looking for the redemptive story. How do I put the redemptive narrative into this story? Mm-hmm. So any conversation that we were having, uh, you want to hear a story? I'll tell you a story real quick. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I was uh, sitting with a friend, very strict. Uh, if you were to see him, you would you would assume him to be a Taliban type of guy, mm-hmm. uh, but very loving, very good friend of mine. But we were so off the road. Uh, you went down kind of into this underground um, little, it was just an alley, the dead ended underground. And we were sitting down there because there was a shop down there that he owned. And we were talking and three of his friends had come around. And so it's me and I'm sitting in a chair back against the wall, three or four guys. And we're having tea and we're having a good conversation and a good time. I'm praying the whole time, God, give me an opportunity to have a, you know, a really good conversation. And it led to that. We started talking about Allah. And the conversation went... According to uh, Islamic view, that God created the angels out of fire. He created man out of mud, and angels are superior to men because of their original creation. Mm-hmm. And then what God did is that He told Lucifer to bow down and worship Adam. And Lucifer refused, and that's the fall of Lucifer. So that's the story around is that. Is this a Quranic story or is this myth? Uh, no, this, so the, yeah, this is built into their, their okay. belief. So you have, side note on that, you have the Quran and you also have Hadiths, which mm-hmm. build the foundation for Islam. Right. So the Quran is said to be all just words of, of Allah. And then Hadith is the words of Muhammad and the examples of his life as well. So it would be the equivalent of like the Talmud for the Jewish uh, yeah. faith. Okay. Yep. Another similarity. Yeah. So when I they told me that story and I'd never heard it, and I said, but... Allah is almighty, right? Yeah, absolutely. Allah has commanded to worship no other gods, right? Yeah, absolutely. Allah has commanded no idol worship. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing else in creation is worthy of worship, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So we agreed all the way up to there. Mm -hmm. And I'm building this case and I'm setting this trap. And I said, so then you're telling me that Allah broke his own commandments by commanding uh, Lucifer to worship Adam. Mm Mm-hmm. Allah is commanding false worship. Allah is commanding idolatry. Uh, that didn't go well. <laughs> what was their response? Uh, so the response was, was uh, you know, went from we're sitting around having tea and we're friends to being very, uh, you know, uh, agitated and even aggressive. Mm-hmm. And what I realized as we we're working through this, because in my mind, I've just built the perfect logical case. Mm-hmm. Allah is inconsistent with himself. 
He can't be God if he breaks his own laws. Mm-hmm. He can't command one person to to worship a creation, created being and in another breath say, don't worship any creation. Right. Uh, and in my mind, we were getting ready for an altar call. In my mind, they were realizing that Allah is not uh, mm-hmm. a consistent God, and they right. would be immediately ready to abandon their uh, belief in Allah, and they would immediately look for a consistent and holy God. That's how I thought it was going, because that's how dumb I was. You said no. You didn't I did, yeah. yeah. And so they're getting worked up. And then I, next thing I realize is I'm thinking, I'm underground, surrounded by three, four men with my back against the wall. I have to go up these stairs to get out into daylight. There's a good chance I might uh, never come out of this hole. Hmm. is where it ended up leading, where I was thinking, God, this isn't this isn't a good position for me to be in. And the whole problem was is, is that I had made an attack on Allah. Logically, foolproof. Right. How do you work out of that? That's part of the problem. We'll talk about the cultural side of that mm-hmm. here in a few minutes. Yeah. So w- what should have happened there instead? What should have happened is there should have been a focus on the redemptive story that is even there. Great. Okay, so God commanded that. Can angels be redeemed? That's the right follow-up. Mm-hmm. Because even they would say, no, angels can't be redeemed. But Adam can be redeemed because Adam also sinned, right? Yeah. So now we're down a track that we both agree on. Yeah. And the difference there, and if we're going to go to war, is going to be over redemption instead of over their mm-hmm. God being a false God because mm-hmm. I just logically laid it out for them. Yeah. So then that leads us to the to the idea of Christ, because obviously the redemptive story culminates with the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Can you just give us a brief perspective uh, from from Islam on uh, Jesus, the, the character prophet Jesus in their mind? Sure. So he is a prophet. Um, most Muslims will say that they uh, worship and love Jesus more than Christians do. Um, that we so buried into the whole Jesus discussion is the underlying discussion that the Bible has been corrupted, that the Mm -hmm. Word of God has not been preserved. And so what we know about Jesus generally would would be from an Islamic perception is the corruptions of Paul. Mm-hmm. Okay. That Paul gave, that Paul created Christianity, that Paul created the doctrine of the Trinity, that Paul de- himself deified Christ, and that you won't find that anywhere else in the Scripture. You don't find that prior to Paul. You don't find that in the Old Testament writings. And so the, that's the underlying foundation, and really the most important foundation for um, I think ministering to Muslims is that topic of Scripture. We'll come back to that. But with Jesus Christ, so he's a prophet, and many would say even uh, you know one of the greatest of the prophets behind Muhammad, of course. Um, they believe that that Jesus Christ delivered the gospel. Again, now another divergence. When they say the gospel of Jesus, they mean literally words spoken by Jesus that he would have uh, maybe himself penned and written down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when they look at the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they would say those are their gospels. That's not the actual gospel of Jesus. So the gospel of Jesus itself is missing. And in that gospel, you will find that Jesus is not God. So, yes, the, the key issue with Jesus is that he is not God. He's not the son of God. Mm-hmm. There is a, a saying in Islam, a, a Quranic saying, that God does not, it was not begotten and does not beget. Mm-hmm. So he is incapable of having children. Now, part of that is is related to the the literal way that they take the word child. The only way to have a child is through a sexual relationship. 
So when a, when a Christian says Jesus Christ is the son of God, a Muslim hears, hears God came down and had sex with Mary. Mm-hmm. And they think that's what we believe. Mm-hmm. So they do worship God, uh, Jesus. They follow the teachings of Jesus. One of the, the big things that they would believe though is that he did not die on the cross. So he, he did not uh, die because a prophet of God couldn't die in that manner. Mm-hmm. He couldn't be shamed. Uh, he couldn't suffer like that. So there's, you know, there's a couple of theories on how that happened. Uh, a real common one is that on the cross, Jesus took, or God took Jesus off and replaced him with another person right. or put a different face uh, on, put Jesus's face on another person from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, leads to a few questions. Like, well, why would, why would God kill an innocent person? Uh, an answer to that is, well, that person was actually Judas, and so he wasn't innocent. He deserved to die anyway. Well, then why did God deceive everybody? Why did God make it look like it was Jesus? Mm-hmm. God lied then. God lied then. And yeah. there's no answer for that. They do believe in the return of Christ. Muslims believe that Jesus Christ will return and even judge. Um, and, and oftentimes they believe, you know, because there is so much prophecy about a death, that he will at that point die, that his death is still yet future. Yeah. So which, you can still fit that in. Which whether or not scripture. we need to go down this road or not, but that aligns itself with you know, our biblical pro- prophecy. We call that character the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's some overlap between that narrative, um, who they assume will be Christ, mm-hmm. we, we assume will be the Antichrist. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a, a big topic. Their, yeah. their Antichrist it carries a lot of the characteristics of our Redeemer. Mm-hmm. And their Redeemer, the one that they're looking for, carries the characteristics of the Antichrist. Yeah, that's yeah. super interesting. So I had a, a, a guy tell me once that uh, he was explaining... Uh, you know, in times from his perspective. And he said that um, that Jesus will return and that Jesus will partner up with the Christians and the Muslims to fight against the Jews. And that is, um, you know, kind of the idea of Armageddon. They kind of steal biblical uh, and, and Jewish traditional maybe prophecies and, and ideas mm-hmm. and then insert the Islamic twist on it. So he said, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to gather all the Christians and all the, all the Muslims and then we're going to uh, eradicate the Jews. That is one of the key purposes of the return of Christ. To which I would say I agree that he's right because, now here's the catch, right? Because <laughs> the true Christians will be gone. Sure. We won't be here. What will be left will, will be, you know, generally speaking, the, the Catholic Church, the, the religious Christians, who will uh, create a unity in religion, mm-hmm. and uh, it will be a hard time for the Jews. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there is a lot of truth there, except yeah. they just miss the fact that the, the true Christians won't yeah, be here. It's the right story, wrong perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So then, you know, with all these things that they believe about Christ, how, how do you refute that? How do you go about refuting that? How do you um, prove, I mean, maybe it's a prophetic uh, approach. Uh, maybe it's a, maybe you, you know, attack their perspective on the authority of God's word. I mean, I don't know how you approach that. Maybe walk us through what it looks like. Let's assume you've built a relationship with, with someone for a long time mm-hmm. and uh, maybe some of the groundwork has already been laid. How do you approach Christ and, and how do you get to a point where the gospel is the center of the conversation? Yeah, so that does come down to... Um Establishing the 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 authority of the Bible, mm-hmm. so that's a challenge. In Islam, they believe in four holy books, 
so you have the the Torah or the Torah, which was given to Moses. You have the Zabur or the the, the Psalms that were given to David, mm-hmm. and then you have the Injil, which is the Gospel of Jesus, like we talked about, and then you have the Quran, which was given to Muhammad. So those messengers, and, and generally speaking, the, those messengers and their book they would believe were given, and of course were perfect, uh, and are the words of God. And then the problem is that they believe that those first three books were all entrusted to man to keep and then subsequently corrupted by man. Ultimately, Muhammad comes as the last prophet with the last revelation, and then God changes his strategy and says, I myself will preserve this book. Mm-hmm. So that's the foundation. That's, the, that's where the root of all this comes. So everything that is related to the Bible uh, starts from a position, of, a viewpoint of corruption for them. So it's hard to have those conversations and build, uh, you know, a true, you know, doctrinal perspective without first uh, starting with the scripture. Mm-hmm. So that's where you have to start with Jesus Christ. So you have to have this conversation. You have to say, you you really believe that that man is capable of of changing God's word. You're putting man I- as a higher power than God. God isn't capable of of protecting and preserving right. His own word. Right. Well, no, he allowed man to, to be responsible for it. Well, how do you know that then uh, the Quran too won't eventually be corrupted? Well, because uh, it says in the Quran that Allah himself will preserve this word. Okay, what if I show you in the other books, what if I show you from the Psalms where God says he's going to preserve his word? Now, they've not, probably never been exposed to that idea. Mm-hmm. That's been a a topic of avoidance. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the authority of the Quran is what the Quran says about itself, that all, that God is going to preserve the Quran. Okay, mm-hmm. well, let me take you into the Psalms and let me show you where God says he's going to preserve that too. Uh, so then you have, you know, everything up until that point, you've got Moses and, and David being assured of, of those words being preserved. What if I show you where Jesus says that his word won't pass, that not one jot or tittle will change? Right. So that's how you have to work your way into that conversation. Because if you can get them to recognize that the scripture, that God himself already said that he would preserve the scripture, just like the Quran says about uh, its own preservation, then you have a great dilemma. Mm -hmm. Because if God did say it and he didn't do it, then you have that dilemma. Right. and of course, those things are, are not things that they are educated on. And so you have to start there and you have to work into that conversation that God said he would preserve his word. So then there's the the big conversation that follows always is, well, why are there uh, a thousand different Bible versions? It's obvious that the Bible's corrupted. Good job, Christians. Good job, Christians. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you navigate that? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. The Bible is corrupted. Right. The Bible has been corrupted. You it's also to, been preserved, and it's also been preserved. Right. And that's where they can't they can't put both of those into their mind. They they, they think they're completely contradictory. Uh, but you know, you go to Genesis three, and the very first thing the serpent does is what corrupt scripture. The little bit of scripture that was there, it's already it ha- it was changed. Mm-hmm. Right. He manipulated the word of God. It was corrupted. But that doesn't change the fact that the that the scripture is also preserved. And I just would model that with, with counterfeit money. There are corruptions that exist in our in our currency. Right. You can have a fake hundred dollar bill, but that doesn't mean that all money is sure. therefore corrupted. Sure. 
And so there is preserved word as well. That's great. Yeah. So then they then they hear that argument. Let's say that they conclude, okay, God had to have preserved his word. Um, I get that. I, I hear that. Um, what I mean, what other theological hurdles? I know that, that they're opposed to the idea of Trinitarianism. How do you get to Christ? How do you get them to a place where they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Um, getting from the place of, okay, the Bible's absolute truth, but does it actually teach what you're suggesting it does? Sure. Yeah. So once you get, if you can get them to believe that the Bible is truth, then you have all of the Bible. Proving that Jesus is God from the Bible is easy mm-hmm. if you're a Bible student. Let's even assume that you haven't got that far. Maybe they haven't accepted it. Maybe they hate Paul because he created Christianity. They, you know, then everything that uh, was before is thrown out because it's been corrupted. For a lot of Muslims, <clears throat> what you have left is, is show me where Jesus said, and that'll be their, their question. Show me where Jesus himself said that I am God, worship me. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's uh, Islamic thinkers, uh, apologists, if you can call them that, who started this rhetoric and said, if Jesus didn't himself just come out and say, I am God, worship me, then clearly he's not God. And so one strategy is to get really versed in the words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Just take what Jesus said, and I use that a lot, and I'll just dump Jesus in their laps and say, Jesus said this himself. Jesus said this himself. Now they can always, if you haven't done the Bible thing, just come back to the the safety net of, well, it's been corrupted. It's been changed. Mm-hmm. But if I can show you over and over and over where Jesus himself says he's God, now he doesn't say it like they want him to. Right. You don't but he have, receives worship. He receives worship. You don't have any single scripture where Jesus just goes, I'm God. Worship right. me, guys. Right. Hey. But I'm glad. And I would be really disappointed if Jesus' voice sounded like that, by the way. That <laughs> imitation of Jesus was awful. I, I really hope he doesn't sound like that when I get to heaven. But anyway, continue. I hope so too. <laughs> Um, but Jesus says a lot of really hard things. Before Abraham was, I am. Mm-hmm. I get the. I want. I want to re- get back to to your presence, Lord, so we can restore the the glory and the and the honor, the worship that I had with you before the foundation of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? Right. All right. So uh, then, yes, yeah, so you have a lot of hurdles. The Trinity, the the deity of Christ. If you have the Scripture as an authority, if you've established that then uh, you need to be uh, really versed in, you know, D1, D2. Should that deter, so someone who is not uh, maybe super knowledgeable, maybe they haven't been to LFBI yet, which mm-hmm. this is our plug, do LFBI, you, yeah. know, you know, learn learn the word for yourself. But uh, would that hinder someone from actually ministering to Muslims? Does every single Muslim... Uh, enter into that level of like that kind of dialectic. I mean, is is that common or is that more common in in Pakistan or is that you know? Give us some insight because I don't want people to be discouraged, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I can't have those conversations because I just I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's what is common? What what can people expect? Yeah, no the the objections and maybe the biblical knowledge that I was just referring to or the the Islamic knowledge and. And kind of the, the the refutation for all of these ideas is not common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Your general um, Muslim is a lot like your general Christian in America, mm-hmm. and that they are in name uh, a, a Muslim, and in practice anything but. Right. So they're not studying their own scriptures. They're not apologists, and they're not studying our scriptures. Mm-hmm. So they're not making any 
a real dive into their own religion. And so you can have uh, conversations that won't be that difficult. You can have conversations, you know, about prayer and about righteousness, uh, very basic things of, of the Christian faith. You can just share your testimony. Right. Right. Just share what God has done in your life because, uh, because Islam is a works-based system. And so there's no, there's not hope. There's not the peace. There's not assurance. There's, there's, you know, there's this, uh, always under the thumb of the, the, the taskmaster or the guy who's keeping track. And so if you can just share your testimony, you mm-hmm. can talk about the peace that, that comes. You can talk about the assurance that you have. Well, any Christian can have those conversations. Right. Yeah, that's good. So, um, with that in mind, how do, how do we, is there something we should know in terms of looking for open doors? Um, is there, uh, a particular opportunity that you should always be, be waiting for? Uh, is there, is there, is there a, a cue in dialogue that should lead a believer to say, okay, here's my, here's my opportunity. Um, and maybe it's not any different than what it is with just in an average conversation when you're trying to witness to a friend or, or a coworker. But is there something we should be looking for or paying close attention to in our conversations with Muslims? Yeah, it's just like any other conversation with any other person you'd have. There's not, um, you know, a magic pill. Like there's not mm-hmm. that magical sentence, if I can say this to them, they're going to get saved. And it would be back to what I already said. You're looking for the redemptive narrative in everything that you're doing, which is what you would be doing on your college campus with an American who's a general agnostic or philosopher or however he wants to look at it. You're going to start working into your testimony and the redemptive story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you you just need the discretion of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom to know how to meet every individual as an individual. Uh, also taking the things that I say as a prescription won't always work either. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just listen. If you become good at listening, hear where they are, hear the things that are important in their life hear the things that matter to them, and then talk about those. Yeah. Which is something we should all be learning how to do anyway, you know, yeah. regardless of, of who we're ministering to. So James, uh, maybe in closing, you can give us a, uh, a word of encouragement or a final piece of advice as it concerns, I think, you know, a lot of people aren't exposed to Muslims. Uh, you know, a lot of people are so segregated in terms of who they minister to. Mm-hmm that they don't get many opportunities to mingle with people from other perspectives at all. So Mm -hmm. none of this would ever enter their mind. You know, they're listening to this and they're thinking, well, you know, this is not a conversation that I'll ever have. Um, Man, first of all, I I mean, I I hope that um, people are getting outside of their cultural um, comforts and going and 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 ministering to people that are different from them. Mm -hmm. And so that's maybe part of our admonition, but would you, would you leave us with a parting word that would encourage people to go and to reach out to the people in their community, maybe across town or on their college campuses that are Muslims um, that maybe look, act and think differently than them. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you encourage us in that way? Yeah. Um, we should as believers in Christ be looking to minister to all people. And if we're, if we're doing it right from the very beginning as a church, we're training people again towards that end result of missions, which is international, which is multicultural, which is all around the world. So we should be uh, stretching ourselves to to learn other cultures, to interact with other peoples. Uh, 
basic principles, if you do come across a Muslim, where do we start? I would say start with common ground. Start with you know safe and easy ground. Talk about prayer. Talk about prophets. Talk about the things that you know they want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Talk about the holy books. Uh, build a relationship. Uh, you know, it's it's most important that that you have a very that you have a friendship there. That you because I'm sure this has come up in in other conversations about evangelism. Um, most of the time, people aren't saying, "What must I do to be saved?" Most of the time, people are uh, require relationship, and and the goal of um, you know, a first meeting for me is always to get a second meeting. Mm-hmm. And so you want to continue to build a relationship. Let's continue this at the coffee shop. Let's go on. So start on common ground. Uh, stay Again, stay focused on what's important. I mentioned that already, but looking for ways to talk about hope and redemption. Um, bring that into the conversation. Do it easily. Emphasize God's power to preserve his word mm-hmm. uh, is, of course, very practical. Um truth has to be heard we talked about that too and ultimately it will be hard but if you never expose somebody to the truth whether they're muslim or atheist or you know just a philosophy student uh whatever it is if you don't expose them to truth they 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 won't hear truth yeah they have to come to a crossroads yeah yeah lots of prayer lots Mm. and lots and lots of prayer uh all ministry is powered by prayer muslim ministry is slow and hard work. Somebody once said, it's not hard to lead a Muslim to Christ. They just have to hear the gospel 200 times. Mm -hmm. So that you go into it with that mindset. You need a lot of conversations to get to a gospel conversation. And then you need 200 of those. And all of those need to be backed by prayer. So that means lots of patience and lots of time as well. Well, James, that's really helpful. And uh, I know this episode doesn't do... um, this topic justice for sure, but I think you did a great job summarizing some of the major issues that people might run into, but also uh, what the approach should be. And I'm really thankful for that. And it's good to hang out with you, man. I really, yeah. I appreciate your time. Thanks. And uh, so thank you. And thank you as well for joining us this week for the postscript. I hope that there were things that you learned from this episode, that it was encouraging to you and strengthening to your faith and maybe even uh, encourages you to go out and minister to people that aren't like you. Uh, We live in a world right now where uh, there's a lot of division, even just here in America, among people who call themselves uh, American. And uh, and so you can oppose that. You can fight against that even in your community and even from your church by going out and ministering to people that look different than you, that that act different from you and showing them Christ's love. And so this is a great example on how to do that, particularly with Muslims. So hopefully you're encouraged and strengthened and we ask that you join us again next week for another episode of The Postscript. If you've got questions about The Postscript or Living Faith Bible Institute, you can visit lfbi.org. God bless.